So you think you know what OCD is? I promise you, you don't. And if your kid has OCD or you think they have OCD, you got to listen to this episode. And you're going to hear from Chris, a mom just like you, who taught her kid to talk back to OCD. Hi, I'm Dr. Roseanne, and I'm a mental health trailblazer. Join me as we have real conversations about real problems. And today, we're going to dive into OCD. And you really don't want to miss this episode, whether your kid has OCD, you think they have OCD, or they have anxiety. This is a can't-miss episode. So welcome, everybody. I am here with... One of our moms, she's an awesome health coach. She is somebody who really gets what it's like when your child is struggling because her child was struggling and she was part of our Brain Behavior Reset Coach. And her name is Chris Rakes. And she is an empowerment coach herself. And in our Brain Behavior Reset program, she did neurofeedback, we did coaching. And the most important thing is... Her family learned how to talk back to OCD. Mm -hmm. And Chris has been so generous to come on here and share her story because I think one of the things that is the hardest is when your child is struggling, you don't know what to do. You don't know who to ask for for help. And even when you tried things, you're so afraid to try anything else because the other thing didn't work. Mm -hmm. And when you share your story, you help people to realize there is hope. There is a path and you don't have to feel so alone, you know? And so thank you, Miss Chris, for being here on It's Gonna Be Okay. And tell everybody a little bit about how you actually even came to me, because that's a cool story. It is. It's a great story. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here for one. So I really came across your work from one of my very best friends had a podcast episode with you as the guest. It is on Light from the Rabbit Hole. It was several years ago. It was like deep pandemic. And I listened to that episode. And I remember I was walking and I had my phone out like the entire time, like typing myself notes because I was like, okay, yes, that is exactly what's going on. And so... I sat with that for a little while before I thought, you know what, I think we need to explore what working with Dr. Rowe could look like. And so probably about four to six months later, I made a call to your office. And within like a month, uh, my daughter and I were sitting in your office in Connecticut. So it was a deep pandemic and you got on an airplane and flew across in the whole nine yards. When I think back, I'm kind of like, I can't believe we actually did that. Yeah. (laughs) It was a big deal. It was a big deal. And we hadn't, we had lived in our bitty, bitty bubble for a very long time. And to go out and do that gives you a picture, I think, of how desperate we were to be able to change things. And, you know, and Chris, like people may not be aware, you can work with me fully remote or you can come in and you were like, I'll be damned. I'm coming in. Like, I want to get in there. And I'm so glad you did because your experience with the brain map and, you know, what it uncovered, right? Because you really weren't sure it was OCD at that point. I didn't have any inkling that it was OCD. Like that would have been literally the last thing I would have thought of. We had had signs of symptoms of anxiety and even sensory processing. Sensory processing for sure. For a long time since she was a toddler. And then when we came to your office and the reason I did come to your office was you were like, you can do both, 
but you'll really see everything if you come here. And I was like, no brainer, like we are there. So that was what really led me to do that. And then actually, even when we were there, the OCD hadn't actually really been uncovered. I feel like when we sat there and you remember it was was ADHD. There's some OCD signs here. We have to see what happens. Yep. Right. And then it was like the OCD was like, well, here's my spot. I shall blow up. <laughs> so that was the we can laugh thing. now, Chris. We can laugh no, now. I could not laugh then. No, no, no. Mm-mm. It was Mm-mm. it was rough. And I will say, just because I think it's valuable to be transparent about it, is it was interesting to watch. Interesting now. It was very hard at the time to we came all the way across the country. We came back, we did neurofeedback, and things shifted and got hard again when we got home because as you helped me understand the neurofeedback took away some of her day-to-day coping mechanisms so when that happened the ocd just literally it was like the top blew off it went from inward to outward so the the ocd was happening in the inside Mm -hmm. right and and like let's talk about it what happened was and this is a really good learning moment so you know chris is there and we're you know i'm always unlocking stuff right like what is this let's dig Mm -hmm. deeper let's dig deeper. And towards the end of our intake, Chris had said to me, there was a whole ritual around bedtime. So when it comes to rituals around bedtime, sometimes it's it's just a way we do things. Then there's other times when it morphs into something else, where if you don't do the ritual, your child is distressed. They really have compulsive behaviors around it. And so we were kind of on the fence. Yeah. So that's where we were like, let's test it. Do this, Mm -hmm. do this. And then you tested it and then it blew up because it really was OCD and there really were compulsions around it and obsessions. Yeah. And I like the way you describe it too of it was inward and then it became outward because a year and a half, almost two years later, I can say that like it astounds me how much she kept in without knowing a way to let that out. Where now on a daily basis, that's just a conversation. Like we can sense when things are off and then we ask about it, things like that. So It breaks my heart to think of all the pain she was in internally for so long, but also gives me so much hope that we discovered that young so that she can have these tools when she, for the majority of her life. Because OCD, right? Most people don't realize this. They only think of it as a genetic problem, which I always like Mm -hmm. to say is the least common thing Mm -hmm. I see. It's mm-hmm. really a habit that's formed yeah. in the brain as a way to, uh, it's, you know, you're creating behaviors around a fear. So you mm-hmm. have a fear of something. You create these behaviors that don't make any sense. They absolutely do not have to be rational, but an yeah. association, it's called a negative reinforcement cycle is happening in the brain. And the more it happens, the more likely to repeat it. Mm-hmm. And just like in the case, in your case with your daughter, you know, a lot of it she was doing in the inside. And then now she knows that I, wow, if I have a worry, like I literally just saw a kid with OCD as I came in and Mm. he he said to me, he was like, Dr. Rowe, you know, I got my triggers and he's only like nine, you know, he's like, like a 57 year old and he's like, I got my triggers. And I was like, 
preach it. Let's hear it. I want to hear it. Let's, let's get in there, you know? And he was so funny about it. And, oh. and, you know, he was like, yeah, I'm really aware of them. And, you know, you just, mm-hmm. you know, you just can't fall victim to them. Like you got to no. go. And I was like, yeah, oh, you know, no. there's so, nothing better. I know. And, and he's doing it. I think sometimes we think, you know, so much of our culture, Chris, like when things are in the inside, but things look great, like, you know, Sophie looked great on the outside, like yeah. adorable. You were doing the pod, the pandemic pod. She was having <laughs> time, yeah. you know, all this other stuff. But then like when the real world, like we got back into the real world, you know, you start to see the cracks of yeah. what sort of happens. And the great part about you is, yeah, I know that it went into this place of, oh, we call them flares, right? A flare period. But you didn't ignore the signs. Mm-hmm. You were always doing your best. And I remember, you know, seeing Sophie's brain map and being like, wow, her behavior should be way more significant yes. on her brain map. And that was because there was a lot of overactivity and mm-hmm. you've done so much with self-regulation, co-regulation, lifestyle and diet and teaching tools. And she did really well. But ultimately, she had this worry that turned into OCD. And then so talk a little bit about your process, boy, because what I love that you tell people is it wasn't magic. You got to the other side of this OCD. Yeah. um, But there was a process, right? Yeah. so talk a little bit about your experience, you know, in our brain behavior reset program, doing neurofeedback, PMF. Mm-hmm. What, what was it like? One thing that I always held true in the whole process of it was I never let go of to me and my relationship with Sophie. I knew that it was important to follow a natural route in that. And that's really hard to find. And so I think that like at the root of it was why I held so dearly to your work because I thought, okay, finally somebody agrees. This idea that I can't figure out how it would happen. This is how I want to support her in it. And for her, it was the perfect thing. So then she was all in for it. That was the cool she thing. She was all in. She was. And I, I will never forget sitting there. She didn't there want to <laughs> Oh, no. She was like, I'll stay there forever. I know. (laughs) But I remember sitting there, you know, and kind of like the nine-year-old that's like a 57-year-old. She's kind of the same way. And I remember sitting there at lunch after our brain map. And I was like, you were really brave. Like, that's a lot to do. Like, that's a lot to take in. Are you okay? And she was like, Mom, I just want to be more happy. I just want to be more happy. And I was like, you know that you can live a different way. So that was a good, like anchor for us to hold on to because the neurofeedback's a lot of work. I mean, looking back, I discounted how much our life ran around that for a little while. But yeah. it was for, well, like it was for a period. You're you're mm-hmm. committed to two to three times a week for a half an hour, which is like it doesn't seem like a lot, but you have to make you gotta it, put it on your schedule. You, you know? do. And the like it's worth know. it, but you gotta put it on your schedule. It's like working out. And when it's like a kid who is very regimented with things anyways, it's like they need to know when that's going to happen and you can't just surprise them with it and they want to be able to plan ahead. And like there was sort of some juggling around that. So that was a lot, but we did, I will say, you know, it, it got a little tougher and then it started to get better. And so 
which I think is so true of most things. Um, but we held true to it. She trusted you and especially your team so dearly that it was like, well, even if it's hard right now, even if I don't really want to go do this, I'm going to do it because I know I can feel better. I know and, I can. And you here. did some shifting when you didn't like when things didn't move as quickly as we wanted to. We did some lifestyle shifting. We did yeah. some parenting shifting. We did mm-hmm. some stuff around OCD and everything yep. started to move, right? Yeah. You climb to the summit. Yeah. You don't, you don't, for walk. sure. No, we did not run. It was no. like a low, a long, slow walk. <laughs> yeah. But also, like, I mean, I think it was about two months in when you first said, like, for sure. <laughs> I remember sending like multiple emails back and forth and your team would respond and then you wrote back and were like, it is OCD, Chris. <laughs> so, and I was like, okay. You were like, like, I'm really... not so sure. You weren't so sure. And I was like, no, no, no. I said, we're going to give it a little window of time. And the then I was gone. like, this is screaming OCD. Like, <laughs> it's got you in the rituals. You're accommodating it. Yep, like, that's, let's call I mean, it and day I, if it's day, Chris. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, you know, it's hard when you're in it. And so, I'm no girl. So hard. And you're like, oh, can it just be a little, little ADD, a little anxiety? And I don't want to minimize that because no. you can have that. But OCD is scary. And there's so few providers as we'll talk about that. Um, yeah. And um, I'm so grateful that you came here because you would have spent yes. years going down the road of this, that and the other thing. Nobody would have ever gone to, to OCD, which no. requires its own treatment. Exactly. And I, I will say too, one of the key things from that initial conversation I listened to from you that stuck with me and really was like that pull to make sure that I explored it because I was interested was you saying that, you know, you wished you were the first or second provider that someone would come to. And in reality, what's the number? It's like, it's really high. Most people see a minimum of five to seven providers and it takes 11 years. We've talked about this Mm -hmm. 11 years from the Mm -hmm. onset of a problem before somebody typically on average gets proper help. And that's NAMI yeah. 2019 research. So yeah. that's disgusting. And it is. No, it's horrible. Yeah, it's horrible. I mean, yeah. you're down the rabbit hole. You know what you, I mean? Oh, you are deep in the rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, wait a second. Why am I going to do this? You know, what's going on? You know, I also love, like, I don't want to neglect what you said, like, holistic treatments were a family value for you. You know, there are a lot of treatments in the world. The majority of evidence-based treatments for mental health have no psychiatric medication involved in them. (laughs) And there's always a behavioral piece. You know, what we did is with the neuro and the PMF is you've got that nervous system regulated, but that on its own, yes, we would have gotten some regulation, but if, she kept doing the obsessions and compulsives and anxious behaviors. You couldn't combat it enough. You would have had to stay yeah. doing these things. And everybody should regulate their nervous system. Yeah. Dr. Rowe regulates her nervous system every day. There's no doubt that we shouldn't be doing that. But when you're doing neurofeedback, it's really at a much higher level. It's clinical yeah. in, in our cases, even though, hello, lots of people do it for just to make your brain feel better and work mm-hmm. faster. But the behavioral unwinding was probably a lot more work than you anticipated. It was. It's not a shortcut. It's nope. not something that comes easier. But because it was such a value to me, and I don't know if this might help somebody listening to, but it wasn't necessarily for my husband. He had times where he was like, seriously, Chris, this is not working. Things are getting worse. 
is this really what we need to do? And I held so true to that because I knew with all my being that that was the right way for her and for our family. And it was like in the end, it did not look pretty for Can a I long say time. Thank you for saying this. Yeah. Because I have helped thousands of people in 30 years. And I'm going to tell you that less than 20% of the time when a couple walks into the door, they're in agreement. Mm. Does your child struggle to complete tasks or they can't stay focused enough to finish their homework or get anything done? Or maybe they're super fearful and moody. This may leave you questioning if your child has ADHD or something else like a learning problem, anxiety, depression, or OCD. Well, I've created a quick quiz that will tell you if it's ADHD or something else. Text the word quiz to one three alert more to take my free quiz so you can get to the bottom of what's going on and the right solutions. That's text the word quiz to one three alert more. And it's a lot of kinds of things. It's like not an agreement on this is the treatment, not an agreement on how it's going to go, and even just viewing the problem differently. You know what I mean? Dads love to come to me because I got the brain map. So when I got the brain map, I'm like, see this? This is understimulated. This is overstimulated. This is working. This is not. This is exactly the steps that you're going to do it. And they're like, I got it. Yes. Right. But women, we speak through our heart, right? You talk mm-hmm. about belief. But I think what's really important and what I see really helping, I have a whole episode on how to talk to your spouse about holistic treatments. Mm. But I think what's really important here is that there's communication. Just like everything else in a, in a relationship, a marriage or whatever it is, there are some things I do and there are some things my husband does and he takes leadership. But yeah. like sometimes you have to say to your spouse, like, I want you to be part of this and I want you to be involved and you always should try to like do the work together. But yeah. sometimes you just have to say, this is super important to me. I remember one of my first neurofeedback cases. It was like two decades ago. The dad said to me, he's super chill and his wife is super chill. Let's just call him Fred. Let's call her Amy. And Fred said to me, Dr. Rowe, Amy never puts her foot down. And she told me, I'm doing this. I don't care what you think. Mm-hmm. And the dad said to me, you know, my friend's best friend's a psychiatrist. And he told me this was pseudoscience. And he's like, I went to him and said, this has been the thing that has completely changed the life of my daughter who was misdiagnosed as being bipolar and all these other things. She had, um, she had dyslexia and she had anxiety and nobody could see that. So they just saw her as this out of control, moody kid. So it was really awesome. And I just loved that that dad came back to me to say that, but sometimes, I mean, it's always about communication. Dads are capable of hearing this And we just have to have a conviction. This is where you need to have hope and belief, which I always talk about because I get it when you've gone through seven providers, 10 providers, and you're not sure. You need to make sure you're picking treatments that are aligned with your values, but also are science-backed. That's really important. So, And what does science tell us? We have to calm the brain. We have to learn new behaviors. If you're trying to learn new behaviors with a totally dysregulated brain, it just doesn't work. It really, really doesn't. 
And I will say like, and when you can fast forward now to where we are now, I actually didn't really think about it until right now. But because I held so true to that at the time, he so much trusts what I will suggest now. So there's a lot of times where I'm like, I don't want to go a traditional Western medicine route here. Like this doesn't feel right. He's like, okay, like, yeah, great. What does that look like? And so he's, yeah. it's not, it doesn't have the same resistance or question that it held in the Which beginning so because we made great. it through. It's so many levels. You don't need more stress when you're a kid. And it's way more typical mamas and papas for people to have conflict about what the treatment path is Mm -hmm. and what that looks like. And the timeline. I mean, people have very unrealistic timelines. Like Mm -hmm. I created a six month program because that's the sweet spot. Yeah, you could do it in less time. But people, you want to have contact. You still contact me today. I'm like, whenever you um, come yeah. contact me. Right? <laughs> because, you know, it's important. You want to have somebody to run something through. You know what I mean? And, and behaviors don't happen overnight. So they're not going to be unlearned. You have to unlearn and learn a new one. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that's really powerful. So what was your experience? You also did ERP coaching with our amazing yes. team. And yep. part of why you did ERP coaching is because you had a, were on a 10-month wait list, truly, yes. ERP. And you learned a lot. You had to do deep parent work, right? Yes. So let's just say what ERP is. It's exposure, response, and prevention. Mm-hmm. And basically, it's a combination of cognitive behavioral work where you're changing your thinking with exposures. And mm-hmm. it's done by highly trained, highly qualified therapists. And it's really to create a safe space for you to uncover what the triggers are, what are all the OCD behaviors and, and thoughts, and then do little exposures so that they mm-hmm. go, oh, the bad thing didn't happen. Oh, the bad yep. thing didn't happen. And then it, it really dismantles OCD. And you really have to do the work. You can't yeah. let the little comment pass by. The reassuring question. The, totally. the, the mom, I just have to do this three times. No, you don't. What would happen if you didn't do it three times? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, it is. It's a whole entire like conversation and lifestyle change. What and I think totally. there's so much empowerment in understanding like why those things happen, why the compulsions continue, all of that. So in our journey, because it was going to take a short eternity to get into ERP where we live, because like this was something I didn't know that you helped me understand was that you had to be that your provider has to be in the same state where you are. So even though so what we could do was virtual coaching with your team for us as parents, but we couldn't have Sophie see them. So in the interim, we did those coaching sessions to help my husband and I just like manage day to day life better. And even a few sessions like were really, really helpful. Then in hindsight, by the time we got her into a provider, we knew better what to expect. Yeah, she had like started to dabble in some of the language that we would use and the ways that we would like push back or challenge things, stuff like that. So and then also, this is kind of interesting, not something I knew before was, we actually the only reason we got in sooner than 10 months was because a provider in town actually has students that are going through the program. So I consulted your team and said, Hey, like, I don't know. I like if I'm going to do this, I want the best person that can do this. And your team was like, you know what? A student's going to be fine. She's young and they're young. They probably will hit it off really well. I feel good about this. Do it. And so we got in sooner. I do think in hindsight, we might have been like, I think we might have been in the program longer than we would have been had we not done that. Got we got somebody, seen a whole lot faster. 
Yeah. And I mean, and the other thing is, I mean, when we talk about when you did coaching, what you learned was all the verbiage, right? Because mm-hmm. what people don't realize is you inadvertently feed the OCD, right? Yeah. So, you know, this is about this episode is about a family learning how to talk back to OCD. And OCD is very sneaky. It's a tyrant. Uh-huh. And it will you'll do things like, Mom, is it time to go? And you're like, yeah, it's time to go. And then they're like, oh, it's 12 o'clock. Is it time to go? Yes, it's time. And then but you don't know that they have an obsessive thought about it. And it's a need mm-hmm. for reassurance. And then yeah. you develop all these behaviors, you know, and I had a mom recently say to me, am I enabling? And I was like, you are not enabling. You're not yeah. enabling. Don't say that. It's a terrible You're word. doing the best you can. Honestly, you're doing the, best, doing you the can. best you can with the tools you have. I always believe that. Beautifully said. Absolutely. And the thing is, once you knew how to teach, you know, use coping language, you got to see because you're, you're really controlling the exposures. I mean, that's really what it's about. And ERP is a lot about understanding the psychoeducation. How does this get, you know, form a habit in the brain? And, you know, I, I'm always so sick and tired, Chris, of people telling parents, adults, you're going to have this condition your whole life. That isn't the case. You can unlearn these things. It's Mm -hmm. a matter of really trying to address them. That's the bad part about people not identifying these things earlier, right? Taking action on them. And for you, you came into me, you happened to come into me before it was like a full crisis, right? And what was it about that time that you really were like, I want to get rid of this because most people wait for a full crisis. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. I mean, we had been sort of playing whack-a-mole with it until the pandemic. And then pandemic happened. And of course, that just all of her structure and routine that was sort of holding up the house of cards collapsed. And for us, it was the nighttime routine that you alluded to earlier. So like to paint a picture of that, it took two to three hours to get her to bed. And that was not like, because it was like calm things happening to get her to bed. It was screaming, terror, awful, awful experience every single night. Of course, her sister is like right across the hall. She's feeling that we're going to bed exhausted because we've done this night after night and no one else can put her to bed. We can't like take a night off and hand her over to my parents. Like that is not possible. So when we had done that for probably six months, then I was like, we can't keep doing this. Like this is an unsustainable life. And so, and it was that like, even though I couldn't put the language around it for being compulsions, I just knew that like, there was this tension always in my body of like, Oh my God, if the door's like not this way, I know what's going to happen afterwards. I know how bad this is going to get. And so you're like, I think as a parent, always trying to be that one step ahead to be like, I know this is coming. So here's how I can fix it. So you're also, those are the, you know. Let's unlock that because you said something so flipping powerful. You know, the door being this wide, otherwise she's going to flip out. Can you talk about what you learned through ERP, how that's the worst thing you could do? Yeah. Even and no today, judgment, parents. No, no. This is an even, educational moment. No. It's an after-school special educational moment. <laughs> totally. So I will paint an honest picture that like all this whole crazy bedtime routine, even a year later, I still can't dismantle the whole thing. We're still getting there. You're working so, on it. We're still working on it. So like I knew that if the door was um, kind of cracked inwards, then that would really trigger her. So through ERP... We 
in my head, like we're just challenging that. So it would become, so what was very interesting to work through with her was like, she had to make her whole list of fears, some of which came from me. Cause I was like, well, I'm seeing this. Like, I think this is one bud. And she's like, okay. Yeah. So like with the, (laughs) with the door, then it would be like, well, completely closing it isn't an option. That feels like that's like a 15 out of 10. Like that's not doable, but we would come up with, okay, well, what if, like for 10 minutes, we close it. And then if you need it, we'll open it back up. Or there were just like, those sort of just right challenges where it was like, you can show yourself within a reasonable amount of discomfort, I can do this. And the bad things that are in my head aren't going to happen. And it's doing that until it becomes comfortable. And then being like, well, now it's 15 minutes. Actually, with the bedtime thing, it just came back to me too. I mean, we were to the point of like literally checking on her every five minutes. And I was like, well, no one can fall asleep in that amount of time when you've been so like spun up. Wound up. So yeah. now we do 20 minutes, but it took us a long time to be sure. like, okay, now we're doing 10 and now we'll do 15 and you can call for me, but I'm not going to come back. I am here. You're safe, but I'm not yeah. going to come back until then because I know you're safe and the OCD wants me to come back. So yeah. it's things like that, that you're talking back to it and while it's really uncomfortable in the beginning, it's amazing now to see like, even this week, we're through our ERP program. But to be able to maintain progress and not have the OCD flare back up, because we've already seen that happen, that we have to sort of have these little exposures that we do all the time, we do it around washing hands, we do it around, she's wearing a sweatshirt today, she's been told for six months, she can't wear a sweatshirt. So today she's wearing a sweatshirt. So it's things like that. We're on an ongoing basis. Yeah. We're just sprinkling in like, okay, here's the thing that Brave Sophie does and OCD hits. Yeah. But look at you, you're doing it. And she just keeps moving forward. And you know, yep. I think what's really important is you're you're really telling people there is a path. Like there's different ways to look at this, right? Yeah. Oh my God, it's a year and a half later and it's not fixed. Yep. But how much better is she, right? That's oh a total to- incomparable, right? Incomparable. 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 But it there is, you're all, everybody's out there spinning your wheels, right? Mm-hmm. This is about shifting what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's shifting from a reassurance model and accommodation yeah. model to a positive coping skills model. And mm-hmm. when you start doing that, yeah, it's uncomfortable in the beginning. Like, yeah, yeah they get pissed at you. But mm-hmm. then you start shaping these behaviors. And there isn't a pill, people, that's going to do that work. There yep. just isn't. This is behavioral work. But now she's incomparably different from where she yeah. was. You can go on date night. Yeah. She can go, she's going on a sleepover this weekend. Like that is huge for her. She's going on a sleepover. Huge. And I think too, like as parents, if I reflect back on it too, like, of course she feels so much better. She feels like she has tools that she can fall back to, but also like we can separate that OCD from who our daughter is too. So, that's right. and, and that's a huge piece as a parent to be like, it's not her. It's the the separate version of her. Like we the really OCD have two brain. separate pictures. And it is. she's now an OCD warrior. You know yeah. what I mean? Like she really has learned from it, which is truly, truly remarkable. Mm-hmm. You know, she's much more regulated and your conversations are different, right? Totally. She's moved away from the fear and needing reassurance to actually sharing like, hey, this is what I'm thinking, right? Mm -hmm. This is what I'm doing. And almost as in like, now you probably spend a lot more of your time in conversations, just reinforcing 
the yeah. behaviors that she is doing, you know, the healthy behaviors that and it's not to say that worry doesn't ever happen, but no. it doesn't have to move to this obsession or compulsion. And, no. and I think what's really remarkable about your story, like is very easy for it to slide in. And for people not to understand it, just like you finally, like, I remember you were asking everybody on the team. And then finally, I don't know if I emailed you or left you an audio. And I was like, it's OCD. Chris. (laughs) Stop asking, Chris. We know what it is. (laughs) (laughs) But you just needed that. And it's hard and it's okay. It's like, you know, my son who has Lyme or whatever, I remember when like he was doing really good. And then it takes years for all the co-infections to come out. And he went to this amazing doctor, Charles Ray Jones. He treated like over 40,000 kids with Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. And he says, oh, yeah, now all the co-infections here. And there were nine, you know, and I remember like that feeling of my heart just going Mm -hmm. into my stomach and wanting to vomit. And then I was like, "Okay, he's okay." He's doing really good. They were always there, you know? So what are we going to do is what Mm -hmm. I said. Here we are is probably, you know, I don't know how many years later and we're way better off, you know, but when things happen, there's always a path and you have Mm -hmm. to, no matter where your journey is, you have to stick with it. And that's not to say anybody, I say it all the time. uh, I believe medication should never be the first option. And I don't think we're teaching people. That's what this podcast is about is to teach them the ways to shape behavior, to take different actions. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And you really did that. It wasn't exactly a straight line for you either, but you got the results that you wanted Mm -hmm. And it's just that we all think it's going to be, you know, two weeks or eight weeks or three months or something like that. You know, like you'll be the one person. person. She's going to take us there. And it's like, it becomes a team. It just has to. It has to. And and how beautiful, though, your whole family came together on this. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, because, man, when your spouse is not on the plan, boy, do you really start getting irritated and hate them, you know, like Mm -hmm. there's no other way to say that. Mm -hmm. Right. And as a special needs mom myself, you can say that like there's times you have to come together. You have to do be a tag team on this sucker. Yes. You know, and whatever you need to do to join on it is really important. And also for your daughter, you need the same verbiage. She needs the same level of reinforcement. That's why getting your partner to really understand from a brain perspective and that your child isn't doing this on purpose. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times people get confused about the behavior and they think kids yes. are acting this way on purpose. Yes, yes, she is driven to act this way, but that's because the brain is getting reinforced. It's a very different way to do it. So for any parent who, whether they have anxiety or OCD or any clinical condition, What do you wish a parent who's struggling at any point in the journey early, like you were or sort of in the Mm -hmm. middle or even on the extreme, you've gone to 14 million people. What do you wish they knew about taking natural, using natural solutions? What do you wish every parent knew? I wish they knew that it won't look how you think it will and that it is safe to hold hope that it will change. I think it's really easy to lose that sense of hope even like I'm a very optimistic person. And there were some very dark times where I was like, I don't know. But I never lost that in all of it, even in those really, really hard years. So I would say, just trust that like, if that feels right to you, it feels right for a reason. Don't let that go and follow that path. And I also think, maybe it sounds kind of woo woo, but this is just me that I do think that there sometimes like we have to hit our own personal like, 
I don't know any other resources and kind of just turn it over and be like, well, maybe I'll see, maybe it'll be shown to me. And I really think that as I look back, that is such a thread that always happens is maybe I'm super stubborn, I have to get to that point, but then something else comes in and helps. So um, I would just hold on to that hope and knowing that you really, there can absolutely be change. It won't look like you think it will, but it'll probably be better. That's so beautiful to say that. And, and, you know, really to have so that, you know, faith, hope and persistence. Yes. You know, really stick with it. Every behavior, it takes a minimum 30 days really to Mm -hmm. change behavior, um, Mm -hmm. even at micro levels. And, you know, we all want to grab those big ones, the macro behaviors, but it's the micro behaviors and that, you know, ERP is a great way to understand that. You don't start with your biggest, you know, fear. You start with the little ones and then they build up the confidence and the brain starts going, oh, oh, oh. And that Mm -hmm. does the work for you. It does the heavy lifting, but it requires so much more reinforcement than people realize. You're like, what? What just happened? Mm -hmm. Where did this behavior come? So that's so, so important. And for anybody that is, you know, you got in an airplane and came across and (laughs) worked with like, I think the best team. The brain trust is what I call them. For anybody who is considering being part of our brain behavior reset program, what would you say to a family who's got a child or a teen that's struggling? What your experience is, why they should do it? I would say if you have that inkling that it's right for you, I would absolutely follow that just to even see, explore what that would be because it just, it might be exactly what you were looking for. And so for us, it really, without a doubt, was like one of the biggest moments and transition points in our life. And so not only it affected everybody in the family and in a positive way. So if you're intrigued by it, I mean, I would probably be one of the last people that you would think would just hop on a plane mid pandemic and fly across. So this is not like to be taken lightly. So just know that if it's something that you're being called towards, there's a reason for it. You definitely were not one person to jump on it. <laughs> no. no. I'm so glad you did, though, Miss Chris. I'm so Grace, glad I did. Empowerment coach. If anybody would like to know more about Chris, you can go to Chris Rice Collective, and it's Chris with a K if you're listening, to find out more about her work. And she does work with moms, and she does a lot of really cool stuff. And I saw you talking about co-regulation. I love talking about co-regulation. <laughs> and if you're not in our parenting group, Natural Parenting Solutions, you can hop over on Facebook to Natural Parenting Solutions or drrosanne.com forward slash group to be part of the community. Because I think one of the hardest things in this whole journey is loneliness and not to have a safe space. And we are cultivating not just a safe space, but a place where you can get some information and take action on it. So Mm -hmm. I do believe we make mental health way harder than it has to be, right? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I think that's really important that people find resources and a place and that they can have a trusted guide. And that's me with my 30 years. You have been amazing and I'm so excited and and really glad that this has been a beautiful unfolding for your family and you trusted the process. The ride is bumpy. 
a lot Mm -hmm. of times. And healing never looks the way we want. I always say it looks just like the stock market. Hopefully it's (laughs) positive trending stock market, but it is really a hard, hard thing. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate you and your family. And I know you have, uh, I know Sophie's got a bunch of followers in the office, basically, because we love Sophie. I'll tell her. Yeah, they were really excited that. that you were part of this. Parenting is hard and there are so many ups and downs. Just know that no matter where you are in your journey, it's going to be okay. And in the case of Chris, she took action. She didn't wait for the other shoe to drop. She didn't wait for a crisis. She got in there and she addressed the issue. And you know what she's doing? She's changing the mental health of her daughter right now. And she's creating generational mental wealth for the rest of of her entire lineage. So wherever you are, get help, find solutions, and always start with natural ways that calm the brain. You need the right solution to help your child be successful at home, school, and life. And that's why I've created the Solution Matcher. Go to drrosanne.com forward slash help, D-R-R-O-S-E-A-N-N forward slash help to get the right solution for where you're at. 